Time is now eight minutes past two o'clock. I'd love to welcome back on the program the one and the only Andrew Dembina for this week's Tuesday. How are you doing? I'm okay, Noreen. How are you? Yes. You all right now? Yes, much, much better. All the better speaking to you today. Good stuff, likewise. That's right. So what have you got for us today? Is it is it something weird? Because you sent me some weird pics today. Uh, I, I, I like to keep you guessing. As the, uh, as the regular listeners of the 123 show will be aware, I send you uncaptioned pictures uh, to be to be discussed, to, things to get you pondering. Hope you've been doing a bit of thinking, what on earth are these things this week? Definitely. So, well, okay, so the first, uh, I'll do a visual description of the first picture for the listener, and it's a man with a pipette putting in some drops into a sky blue liquid uh, that's, that can be seen through a glass beaker in what looks like a science lab, and behind him are loads and loads of brightly coloured bottles of interesting coloured liquids. What could they be? What could they have to do with food and drink? Well, I'll tell you. It's, um, it's, it's actually all to do with uh, alternative dairy products creating great big flavour challenges for food science. And this is according to a report published by New York-based International Flavours and Fragrances. That's not, that's not a consumer publication, as you might guess. It's an online publication by one of the put out by one of the largest producers in the world of flavorings and fragrances that are all used for food, drink, and wellness products. Hmm. And they, they 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 mentioned what the, what the challenge has been like in recent times because of the, the increasing demand of non-dairy products that have become really really difficult to give flavoring to. So it's a challenge that is. Uh, is, is having to be dealt with because there's a 40 billion US market for food flavorings. That's a staggering 312 billion uh, Hong Kong dollars for the, 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 the dispense, yeah, by the world's largest companies that are dedicated to figuring out how things should taste and smell before we start chomping into them. They're making those decisions for us before selling it onto people. And last year, the increased demand for flavoring helped lift the North American market past uh, 9 million, sorry, 9 billion US dollars in value. That's, uh, that's, that's just in the US, which is about 70 billion in our money, Hong Kong dollars. According to market research firm uh, that was commissioned by the flavoring company, the research firm was called IMARC. Um, so the alternative dairy growing profile has become quite a challenge because you might think that alternate uh, alternative dairy is used mostly in things like ice creams or smoothies but it also appears in the mix with things like baked goods desserts and energy drinks and all kinds of other mostly sweet uh, pre-made items that you can find in supermarkets in the states and in some other parts of the world it might be happening a lot more than it's happening in Hong Kong, that people don't want to have lactose content from traditional dairy from cows in their cake mix and so on, so things that are pre-made that they then buy and take home. So the past decade has seen a real growth around the world for alternative to dairy to be used in foodstuffs that are made on production lines, really, uh, as well as used in their natural form 
you know, where you pour some traditionally milk, but now maybe a, a dairy alternative for a cereal or for a coffee or a tea. If you take your drinks with a bit of traditionally used to take it with milk, but don't want to have a dairy type. So what the problem that's been identified is that the flavorings that are added to certain types of dairy alternative don't always react in the same way for one and all. So let's say you've got soya milk, which, you're, which is being used as the main base for a dairy alternative. It can't be, uh, it won't react rather in the same way as oat milk or rice milk or other types of milk that are being ch- uh, tried these days. That's what International Flavors and Fragrances, this big company, is saying. So, for instance, when a grocery business or producer wants to make a vanilla-flavored almond milk... Um, There's it, almost it, it no ha- vanilla in it. Well, there is no vanilla, but also in America, this brings a whole new challenge too. America, vanilla flavor is the only one that has been identified as having so many uh, laws attached to what the different flavor profiles must be and the components must be. It's, it's regulated by the Code of Federal Regulations, which breaks it down into the raw ingredients and proportions that must be followed to create a legally sanctioned vanilla extract. Surely it should just come from vanilla beans. Well, those days are long gone, unless you go to uh, pricey establishments where you get those nice little black dots that signify real uh. vanilla beans have been used from the pod, or... Or, or you can buy, you know, top-end, let's say, ice creams or yogurts that, where you see those little black dots. And that, that generally, unless this has been, unless there's been uh, a way found to, uh, to mimic this, that generally indicates that it's the inside of a vanilla pod being scraped out and each dot is a little seed. Mm. So it's... Um, but Yeah, it is interesting. And so the labs are, are now kind of under... Uh, under duress, really, for having so many consumers that want to have flavorings made to uh, for all different uh, organic uh, produce as well. And the way that compounds that are organic work with um, uh, with either synthesized or natural flavorings also is different to those that have preservatives in them. So there's a massive, massive um, kind of a variety of science that needs to be used in order to put, let's say, vanilla, for example, um, into the same flour or what you think is essentially the same but breaks down chemically quite differently, whether it is refined or organic or using different types of ground grain from one to the other. The end result, if you put, if you put, if you put that flour in with a cake mix, uh, is going to have a different result to the taste profile. So that is the uh, um, is just something that I thought was quite fascinating that we don't really think about. You, you, you might one might assume that vanilla is vanilla, whether it's extract or natural, and you just chuck it in with whatever is being put into a mix that ends up on a supermarket shelf or even served fresh from the oven of a fancy patisserie. But uh, that's not the case. So it was interesting to get a little insight into that, I thought. Interesting. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, learn something yeah. new every day from you. Indeed. 
Well, I, yeah, I, I did too by delving into that. So that's pretty interesting. So, um, so that was some, that was from one of the world's largest uh, manufacturers of taste of sort of flavorings for mostly foodstuffs, in, and they're based in America. But returning to our own shores now, and keeping it very topical, as we some of us may have noticed in the news yesterday, uh, Hong Kong's central market softly mm. opened. Yeah. yeah, and um, after after many years, um, you know, it's been uh, I, I've seen two different reports in different newspapers. Some count it as being closed for 18 years, but the renovation actually took place over 12 years. That's a long time, 18 years to be closed in the prime central location. But it's now opened as of yesterday, first phase. So they're calling it a soft opening because it'll be two to three phases of of opening up. Um, And it's uh, food and drinks that, of course, we're most interested in. Not too much has been given a definitive description as yet but we do know a few things uh i i've been i've been receiving press releases from different restaurants and drinks groups i won't mention the brands too much but i can tell you the type of restaurants and drink places that we will be seeing 30 percent by the way of the breakdown of the space of the new, new central market will be for food and beverage which is ready to be eaten on the spot or to go so that's uh, that's a reasonable uh, about of course in the old days of central market everything would have been um produce it was a wet market most mm, of it so yeah. so big change from that yeah what did it look uh, like before i don't even remember do you remember what uh, it, well i'll have to google it oh yeah i remember it was uh, there was um a, a division <gasps> between the upper and lower floors the downstairs i think was the uh, was more of a wet market and upset. Mm. Well, there, was, there were portions that were dried goods, you know, dried. Oh, sorry, and Anders, I lost you there. Hi, can you hear oh, me? Really? Yeah. Oh, can That's you hear it. me now? That's so strange. I, um, uh, can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. That's perfectly. So, that's so can you str- hear me? Uh, no, uh, we lost the connection. I mean, I can hear you through the phone, but that's so strange. Oh. Oh, yep, got uh, you back, got you back, got you back. Okay, okay. Well, not sure where the poor listener uh, lost the conversation there, but we oh, were just talking about... the dry about... seafood at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a mixture of dried goods from dried seafood to herbal goods to rice uh, or dried noodles, let's say. And then there was the wet market area where there'd be live seafood, live chickens that you could pick up and, uh, oh, gosh, you know, those, get them. Yeah, those days you could buy live chickens from the wet yeah. market. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Indeed. It was until, yeah, you when do. was it until? Yeah. Was it until 1997 where we had bird flu? Or it was the first, bird, the first bird flu. Uh, there, there, were, there were cullings. There were a succession of bird flus in the, uh, I think it was 90s. either... Yeah, it was in the 90s for sure. I think it might have been mid-90s, before 97. Oh. And, um, but, but it wasn't fully banned until the, until the late 90s or even noughties because like with, we could say, not the same thing, but like with COVID, when bird flu arrived, no one really expected it to be going on and on and to be new varieties of it, which would have to be dealt with. And so in the end, it was thought to be more hygienic to take this out of the uh, urban environments and uh you know treat poultry as a chilled item rather than fresh in the traditional way so um 
but uh, I don't know uh, a, a colleague of ours uh, on the news desk. I won't, I won't, I won't name him, but uh, but I'm a Facebook friend with him, and I noticed yesterday um, that he posted that he popped in into to, the wet uh, market to have uh, lamb curry or curry. Oh. No, it wasn't that. Oh, wasn't so that? Maybe, maybe that's another. Maybe the whole news team from RTHK have been in there eating different items. <laughs> this was th- 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 no. This was actually a non-dairy ice cream. Uh, interesting link with the last. Uh, could have put that at the beginning, really, which was a uh, you know linking to our uh, food flavourings talk just before. But uh, it was a. It was and it, and it cost, by the way, forty-eight HKDs. That's a bit cheeky, isn't it? I mean, it is the middle of central. And I suppose things that are non-dairy, but uh, what, but it was forty-eight dollars for the ice cream. Yeah, for a oh. non-dairy ice cream. Oh wow! So, that, They're yeah. pretty expensive, though. These things. Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, it's, I guess it's like if you get gluten-free bread, or there's a certain supermarket. Premium. Yeah, there's a certain premium attached to these sort of um, yeah, uh, yeah. variations. Definitely, definitely, you do have to pay extra for having the healthier stuff, don't you? So. Um, it's, uh, I, I can tell you, though, that there are definitely a number of places, unsurprisingly, that are doing new takes on Hong Kong classics, like drink shops that do hot and iced drinks, including the Hong Dao Beng, the red bean ice, and uh, a mixture of the different um, bean with condensed milk drinks, but all kind of... all beautifully presented there's chan chan tangs there's cantonese menus there will be it's not all hong kong but there is a very much a a local take because and i'm glad there is because it's been a long time in prime central that this has been closed and it's nice to see things being reinvented and put forward to younger generations i guess who might be less familiar with some of the old uh, traditional things that are disappearing from cha chan tangs which are being you know, taken over by, let's say, mass uh, fast food places or coffee shops or whatever. So it's nice to see them popping up, given a bit of new vigour. And there'll also be specialised um, bars that have locally brewed micro beer, which is, you know, micro brews, which is a big thing in Hong Kong in the last decade or so, and serving Hong Kong distilled gin and drinks from other places. There'll be at least one wine bar that will that is due to open. I know that for sure from what I've seen. So, lots of interesting things to look forward to, I think. Uh, just a really brief bit of history about Central Market. Uh, it was actually built originally in 1939, and it's currently a grade three listed historic building, uh, and it was Hong Kong's first ever wet market. That's really? amazing. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, yeah, and it was it, it was earmarked for revitalisation to be renovated um, in 2009. So uh, that was after it sort of lie dormant for a while because they didn't know if they were going to just give it a you know fill in a few cracks and a lick of paint to reopen as a as a wet and dry market. But uh, I, I think what they've done to it, some may think, oh, it's just more gentrification, like we've seen up the road at the uh, Taekwon and PMQ and places like that. But I think if it's a way of preserving historic buildings, then anything is a good thing. Mm. And uh, look forward to seeing it, seeing what's in there. I look forward to a nice $48 alt-dairy ice cream, perhaps on a hot day like today. 
This so, is going to sound yeah. a bit strange. What was the PMQ before? It's Well, Police Married Quarters. Oh, yeah, that's it, right. So, Tycoon so was the it, old police station and PMQ yeah, was the yeah. married quarters. That's right. Yeah. yeah, basically living accommodation, flats, which oh, were yeah. for, uh, you know, for senior uh, officers. So, yeah, that's um, uh, whereas this was a wet market and you'll be able to maybe try things like a, a, a Hong Kong made uh, micro brew if you're into beer drinking or those or something a, a kind of snazzed up cha chan tang offering so i think it's quite it's quite good fun yeah, um cool. it's the way the world's going Laurie. so <laughs> parting things up um so in 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 news elsewhere from hong kong we zip over virtually uh, or in 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 this chat anyway to wales of all places wales in the uk a place that I've never reported on before in all the years that we've done a Tuesday talk. No, um, Wales. And the only re- that, that, yeah. that was my Welsh accent. Sorry, was that a little accent there? That was my okay. Welsh accent, yes. Cause it, sorry, I missed it. Could, you, could, could we have that again? Sure. As we cross over to Wales. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. That okay? That's a, yeah, that's good. That's great. Yeah, that we do. We, do we, we cross over to Wales. And it's about the, you know, you think Wales must be more provincial obviously, than some parts of England, let's say, uh, you know, its neighbour in the UK. But uh, it's interesting that something that's taken on immediately as it's been opened is something that is a roti bar, roti as in the flat bread from uh, from, Southeast Asia. From Southeast Asian cuisine, roti. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow, you're doing them all today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's roti indeed. Well, I'm half Um, Pakistani, so I think I should be able to do um, a a, a spot-on accent. Well, actually, I hope so. I don't know. (laughs) Right, right. By the way, just changing the subject for a quick moment, have you ever been to the roti place in the road that is parallel to Lang Kwai Fong, you know, nicknamed Rat Alley? Did you ever go to... That's yes, like, yes, where I they ha- spin the roti. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's that's and that and that is actually a Malaysian style of roti. And the and the style of roti that this restaurant in Cardiff is is kind of aiming for is southern Thai, southern Thailand style of roti. And the reason is that the uh, the family behind it are um, Thai originally. And they've lived in Cardiff for a while and they've done really brilliantly with the restaurants that they opened in the 1980s when there was really not much Thai cuisine in anywhere in the UK, including London, the metropolitan centre that, uh, that you'd expect to find it in. I can vouch for the fact that uh, there certainly were not Thai restaurants uh, uh, that I'd heard of in, in London in the 80s. And um, so they, they, they opened uh, the family something called Brother Thai which was an immediate success in Wales. And they, uh, they, they stuck with that for decades, really, three decades or more. And just now, one of the kids from this family went before COVID to Southeast Asia on a kind of travelling trip after he finished studying or whatever. And he, uh, and he loved what he came across in southern Thailand. It's, it's, a, it's actually um, used by a lot of the Muslim community in southern thailand there's quite a uh, a, a a large community there that, are, that, are, that kind of are on the border nearly with malaysia which is predominantly an islamic country and they the the uh the southern muslim thais eat the rotis instead of noodles or rice 
And so they fill their rotors with various types of either vegetarian or meat fillings. Hmm. And uh, he took inspiration from this. Some of them are the original recipes that he came across at the time. Other ones he's embellished. For example, uh, he has included lamb, which is a predominantly, you know, it's one of the things that Wales is known for. So he does a slow-cooked lamb filling using Welsh lamb. He's got his own Thai heritage, but he was prompted to do all this by a trip perhaps to go back to his roots before COVID when he went around Southeast Asia, including southern Thailand, saw and tasted these roaches and thought, I'm going to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a... I love those stories yeah. where someone follows a passion. I mean, it's not like it came from nowhere. He, his, his inner family that's has two generations of running a Thai restaurant in Cardiff. But still, he took a leap and this place only... It's, it's more like a cafe. And I sent you a picture. It made me a bit hungry looking at it. Uh, it just looks like beautifully. Everything is either marinated for about 24 hours. Chicken, if you're, if you're a meat eater. There are vegetarian fillings as well. But um, he just had put his heart into this. And it's just opened now that uh, Britain is coming out of their restrictions for COVID. So... I think I've How probably... timely indeed. Yeah, I'm afraid we're out of time yeah. uh, this week, and, uh, Andrew, sure. but it's so lovely uh, to catch up with you, and I look forward to more chats with you uh, later on this week. Thank you so much. Speak to you then, Noreen. Good chatting again. Bye for now. See you.